welcome to the Better World Leaders podcast. Here, we invite you to explore conversations with people who are co-creating, regenerating, reimagining, and re-enlivening ways of knowing, doing, and being across our diverse array of areas of great change and profound transformation. One thing unites them all. They are all Better World Leaders. Today's conversation is with Giles Hutchins, author of Leading by Nature and Amazing Being, enabling leaders to create life-affirming value propositions, regenerative cultures, and future-fit organizations. How he does this and how he invites you to do this, you're about to explore. Giles Hutchins, welcome to the Better World Leaders podcast. It's a real pleasure, Tim. Thank you for inviting me here this morning or this evening. It is indeed a pleasure. And as you have just mentioned, I too have been looking forward to this time together with great anticipation. So I'm glad that it is upon us. First of all, could I ask you just to share where in the world you are today? Yes, today we have a nice uh, sunny day and I'm overlooking ancient woodlands um, at my home at Springwood Farm. West Sussex, halfway between Brighton and London, where I take leaders into nature. And um, yeah, I have a nice packed day ahead of, of taking leadership teams into nature. So this is where I find myself today. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I'm grateful that we've managed to find a little window of intermission between your wanders in the woods so that we can have some time together and, and then share this forthwith. Uh, so as much as you you know, sort of think is needed, really, just to provide some context of you, the being that you know sits digitally before me, how much of your journey would you like to share with whomever is listening to us? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I will maybe say that I have always been influenced by nature throughout my life. That's what's driven me. That's what my life work is. And it's interesting. Um, uh, I've never been one for birthdays, but uh, a wise woman some years ago said to me that when I reach 50, I'll be living my dharma. And that always stuck with me. So, of course, I was sort of slight, the, the ego inside oneself was slightly anticipating what happens when I reach 50, which happened. Uh, last weekend. And um, yes, I do feel I'm living my dharma, which is essentially helping people, in my particular case, leaders, opening up to the wisdom of life, to the wisdom of nature. So that's really what's fueled my life, this deep sense of connection with nature, which I feel and had a sense of knowing over the years, is really at the root challenge of the many different systemic challenges we face today, is this deep sense of uh, disconnection and how we can uh, allow ourselves to open up and reconnect with life itself. Yeah, that is it. Perfect. Great. So let's just solve that <laughs> in the next yeah, 25, 40 minutes or so, and, and then you, listener, can go out and you know, manifest that, and away we go. I'm not going to respond in any detail other than simply to say a little bit less wise at this linear time junction in my own life and sensing a very similar path, uh, of course, my own, you know, sort of contextual weaving. Um, so very glad, very glad that, uh, yeah, our parts are, are, are mingling for this time. This is a conversation about frameworks. This is a season about frameworks. And the reason that we're exploring frameworks is that they become, different to models, you know, that they're much less prescriptive, they're much less about, you know, 
here's the answer for everybody. Just do what we do because we know they're much more adaptive, they're much more contextual, and they're much more invitational. And your latest work, Leading by Nature, is just abundant with exactly the kind of frames that I have found myself seeking. So what we're going to attempt to do is to explore um, by no means all and, and not really attempting any sort of prioritization, but explore a few of the frames that I've sort of found salient as I've read the work. And then we're going to do a deeper dive into the one in particular that, you know, sort of you found some resonance with my highlighting of. Um, so would you like me to sort of call these out and we do some sort of call and response almost and we're, we're yeah, so we're going to do cool. going to do kind of like a, a a whistle stop through several of these and then we're going to sort of hold ourselves over over the sort of the final one so that is what lies ahead of you listener dear so first of all giles let's talk about why we need a worldview shift and what that is well when we look at um how human psychology develops and we look at also the evolution of of humanity uh, we see that it follows certain patterns, what the great mythologist Joseph Campbell called the monomyth, really a sort of departure, separation, return journey, uh, and which we go through in our own lives, you know, birth, coming into life, teenage years, finding ourselves in the world, uh, achieving outer survival, but then going through quite a profound shift, in, if we're lucky, into a, a deeper sense of meaning-making. And the same happens with humanity, and this is quite fascinating. We go through our own shifts, and we've gone through a shift. I, I've talked about this elsewhere in great detail in the illusion of separation, um, and Law and I also talk about it in regenerative leadership, which is this sort of journey that we've gone on over the last sort of 500 years, which is the sort of separating more and more from life, more and more caught up in our left brain hemispheres or ego awareness, which I feel has probably been part of our evolution in some way, if only for us to recognize that we've become separate from life and that that comes with great challenges. And so the worldview shift is really a, a shift from a, a four to 500 year old way of being that is dying and a new one that is, is struggling to be born on our watch. And uh, that provides immense opportunity, but also immense challenge for all of us, because it rips up uh, many of the constructs or frameworks, to use your word, that we operate by. And that can come with a, a real sense of existential challenge, um, but it can also come with an opportunity for death and rebirth, which we're finding at psychological levels within inside ourselves as leaders, inside our organizations um, as value creators, and inside wider society and the fabric of, of life on earth. So it's, it's a profound time to be living through and underpinning it is this shift in essentially consciousness or way in which we attend to ourselves to each other and to the world around us so this shift is really characterized by a shift of self as separate from and in competition with the world um, um, to self as participating within the world that's fundamentally the shift and it involves a shift in self-awareness and systemic awareness Yes, it does. I'm uh, for the purposes of time and efficiency of. Um, I'm going to respond just very, very briefly and say I have felt this consistent and, for the most part, unconscious dissonance most of my 
I'm going to say life, but certainly career, just not really finding that many of the things that I was being tasked with or set as goals to go and achieve really sort of called to me with any sense of like real kind of gusto or motivation, let alone, you know, sort of love and affinity for, right? It was just like, oh, yeah, great, I can go do that. And as time's gone on, and especially over the last kind of five, six years, it's become something else other than a lack of those things, and it's become a presence of something, like a real wanting not to be doing that. And I see this over and over again, and I hear it emerging from the most unlikely of places, you know, partners in accounting firms and, you know, like advisors to ultra high net worth individuals and all this kind of thing that, frankly, there must be more to life than money and lifestyle. And here we are. And this is exactly what seems to be very, very consistent that this is what people are seeking. So thank you for that very eloquent and necessary depiction of the shift. So as one of the groups, I suppose we could say, um, that can help activate this shift, what are systemic enablers and what do they do? When we look at the organisation as a living system, so part of this shift is is opening up to a living systems approach from a from a mechanistic reductive approach so when we when we sense the organization as a living system complex adaptive system made up of all sorts of messy relationships stakeholder relationships uh, not just human but more than human uh, then we have to find um, tools for ourselves as leaders to navigate that shift whilst keeping the wheels on the road um, and making the numbers and so forth. And we also then have to find tools that allow the living system to become conscious of its own self. And this is really what we're going through. It's a journey of becoming more conscious of our own selves, conscious of our own unconscious, as it were, our own shadow projections, our own challenges. And it's the same for the organisation allowing the organization to become more conscious of itself, to see its own blind spots and to really start to help the organization become a truer version of itself, to listen more to the organization so it can really tap into its own essence. And that, one of the frames I've found that really helps with that is what I call systemic enablers, which is identifying, um, say, a handful, it doesn't matter if it's six or, or 12 people from across the business where they are on that on this cusp between what I call in the book um, uh, shifting from achiever to regenerative, which relates to adult developmental psychology, going through the shift, starting to open up to a, a living systems perspective. And with some coaching and some, um, some homework, you can help stimulate that approach uh, that these people from different parts of the organization, different parts of the hierarchy, um, different parts of the ecosystem can start coming together in circle, in dialogue, and sharing what they hear, what they sense what they notice from the system when drawing upon multiple ways of knowing, not just rational, um, embodied, uh, imaginal, uh, intuitive, uh, gut knowing and so forth, really just sensing. And so they act as almost like constellation aspects, clearing themselves, keeping themselves clean to listening to the organization. And then we gather that insight every so often through dialogue circles, either in the woods or online, um, or together in a meeting room, and use that then not to come up with lists of things to do, which is, of course, very easy to do in the achiever mindset, and there may well be very good insights that come out that are helpful for the to-do list. Um, however, the, the overriding goal here is really just to start creating a deeper sense of the organization 
and its potential and its essence and what are its evolutionary dynamics that are starting to emerge? What's working? What's not working? Where are there hotspots in the system? Where are there areas that are overly stressed? Where are there areas that are perhaps stagnating? Where are the tensions? Where are the acupuncture points? So we can start working with the organization as a living system so it becomes more future fit. And so it can start adapting and evolving because it naturally wants to adapt and evolve. So this is the interesting thing as we enter volatile times, often the leader is trying to sort of manage and control and gets more and more caught up in the stress and the strain of volatility and disturbance and sort of holding on ever tighter. And, and this is actually a letting go process. This is allowing and a listening. So it actually liberates the leader and allows the systemic enablers to become part of informing the life of the living organization. Yeah. And I mean, I again, we won't for the purposes of time go in, in, into elaborate details, but yeah, I've witnessed time and time and time again how much you can almost literally guarantee kind of as soon as those sort of dampening forces of command and control come on, everything just gets less. <laughs> it's kind of the exact opposite. It's this very typically fear-driven, instinctive reaction that just kind of quells so much potential. And, you know, a lot of nurturing work is done to enable both the system to kind of rise with that potential and the leader at the top not to be sort of basically freaked out that they're going to get, you know, sort of bumped off or whatever the appropriate sort of, you know, <laughs> OD metaphor is. How to be a boss in a bossless environment is an interesting question. So this shift that you've just mentioned, I'm going to leap ahead in terms of our little grouping. When I was reading the book, you know, I was sort of, I'm going to invite you in a moment to sort of quickly overview this spiral that I'm going to describe. But I think this is one of the things I've really enjoyed in your writing over the time that I've been, you know, sort of following and, and, and aware of your work is how often I feel like I'm being spoken to at a, a sort of a soulful level. And I could read into each of these levels that you talk about on the spiral and I could sort of see points in my life where I've been like, yep, that's exactly where I was. And this shift that you describe which in my own language I feel is much more like a leap <laughs> right? Um, across that, that sort of point from simply achieving into, uh, you know, the regenerative spaces in those two modes. I, I, I kind of feel like I'm kind of almost caught mid leap at the moment. I'm kind of in between this. So, so if you could uh, just invite you to describe these, these sort of moments or these modes that, you know, is this spiral of sort of leadership development, what is this shift and, you know, why is it so tricky? Well, uh, there's lots of different models that talk about this in adult developmental psychology and all of them pretty much um, come to very similar conclusions around that this sort of momentous shift, as you say, it's, it's, um, it's a leap. In fact, Claire Graves, one of the early adult developmental psychologists whose work research went on to informing spiral dynamics and also some of Ken Wilber's work on integral theory, um, he talks about this shift from the achiever to regenerative, um, and that's my framing, but for he uses the, the shift from tier one to tier two um, as a momentous uh, lift, a, a new symphony in the movement of human being. So it is, it is, it is a big thing. Uh, uh, there is no doubt about it. And of course, you can. It, it takes months, perhaps years, going through that shift. It's not like it happens one day. And in that space, 
um, of being in between this achiever to regenerative shift, there is a lot going on. There are many spirals of development happening. Um, so it's, it's not straightforward. And what I do through my coaching work is take leaders, senior leaders who have to keep the wheels on the road, uh, have many challenges in their life, keep rolling whilst going through this shift. And it's a sort of betwixt between phase where you almost the whole world as you know it can start crumbling the scaffoldings and the frameworks that you used to operate by uh, are falling apart before new ones are even being born in fact it's actually good not to build new frames too quickly otherwise you um, can build them with the old consciousness and, and get caught on them and the ego has you know plays tricks on you so it really do need to go through this death phase and going through that death phase before the rebirth, to do that whilst keeping the wheels on the road, whilst the business around you is dealing with all this volatility, is the very real challenge of the day for ourselves as practitioners, for coaches, for leaders, um, for, for social change agents, for everyone. That's what we're going through. Um, my particular forte is just working with leaders in business and also nonprofits and, and public sector organizations. So that's what I, I take people through. Now, the way I, I frame that is actually that this is immensely liberating. It is immensely challenging, but it's also immensely liberating. And often when I've, say, three months through a journey with someone and they're already starting to go, oh, my gosh, I'm kind of starting to realize what this involves, and uh, it's a bit like um, childbirth or having children. You know, after a while, you kind of think, oh, my gosh, if, if, you know, sometimes you say to yourself, if, if I had known what this was like, I probably might not have had children. But, of course, you know, because you ha then have the gift of having children, you wouldn't possibly go back. Um, and it's a bit like this with the journey. Um, it, you Once you're in it and you're going along it, you're going, oh, my God, life was much easier before I started becoming more conscious, before I sort of started becoming aware of all of these pitfalls and foibles of the ego. I was happier then, it seemed. Um, and so it can be quite depressing. It can be depressive. It can be that we go more inward. We turn the beam of our awareness more inward. And so we don't get so much referencing from the ego, so much sort of, you know, corralling and puffing up as, as we might have hoped. And it can be a messy time, um, which can be really confusing, uh, especially in a society that is still very achiever orientated. So having the courage to go through that, and hopefully that's partly what I provide as a, as a, as a sounding board, as a coach through that process, is to allow people to go through that. And one of the frames in the book is the panarchy, um, which is the shift really essentially spring, summer, autumn, winter, going into spring again, this back loop of autumn, letting go, going through this back loop, coming into spring again. And that is the death rebirth process, allowing people to really bring that into their lives and, and acknowledge it and become conscious of what's going on, which is a backward, downward, twisting, inward movement highly uncomfortable for the ego, uh, to allow that to go through and realize that what it's providing you is actually more transparency to the transcendent aspect of life um, and, and more intimacy with the imminence of life. You know, it's an ego maturation, but also an ego permeation. We're actually opening and thinning the ego whilst also developing our, our deeper sense of self. So it's a very interesting phase change. Um, from achiever to regenerative and letting go of the achiever mindset, the very thing that served us up until this point, the very thing that's given us our 
um, our senior vice president role or CEO role or high salary and everything. Letting go of that is a real challenge. And yet, as you go through that process, it does become easier. And yet, people often then question themselves once they started letting go and go, oh, my gosh, you know, this is this is hard work. Can I go back? Um, and it's a bit – it always reminds me of the film The Matrix, which not everyone's seen, but the first film, The Matrix, the first one, was brilliant. Uh, there's a chap in there who, um, after a while, realizes this, this nightmare of being open to the reality of The Matrix and asks the people who are sort of, you know, um, acting a bit like the CIA, can I go back in? to the system. I don't. I, I know it's an illusion. I'm going back in. Just give me the fast car. Give me the stakes. Give me the nice women. Just take me back in. I know it's an illusion, but I can't deal with this anymore. And you get that sometimes. The ego plays tricks on you going, oh, just take me back to how life was before. But of course, in reality, you can't. And this is one of the powerful, beautiful things of the journey. Uh, as you go in it, you are going through a process of birthing. And just like birthing, one needs to know when to push and when not to push, when one needs to know how to breathe, how to be through this. And that's where these, this framing around stillness, surrender, and sensitivity is important to allow us to journey through what is a psychological death rebirth undertaking. It's an immense journey that will, really will challenge every aspect to our core. So that pause is intentional. <laughs> I'm just just pausing myself to absorb and start to distill and really just receive you know, everything that, that you've just, again, so eloquently uh, compacted in there. Um, and and I, I have a, I have a, I don't know, a need I'll express in the form of a question and it's kind of a need on behalf of myself, everyone listening to this, and everyone that I am in service of. That you know, my own way, my own way. I'm kind of inviting on this this shared collective journey, and the need is to understand a little bit more the gain that lies beyond this very sort of painful transition. So appreciating everything that's already been shared around the liberation that, you know, this transition can, you know, sort of unleash. What are companies and perhaps sort of lies, lies sort of beyond that, that liberating shift? What's the gain of doing this work? Yeah. So there's a personal gain and there's also obviously an organizational and systemic gain. Uh, the personal gain is, is essentially uh, liberation, is a deep sense of freedom, which I'll come back to because it's not some kind of um, sort of wanton um, letting go of our responsibilities. It's much deeper than that. It's an accessing the eternal aspect of this temporal existence, which is a, a spiritual undertaking. But at the uh, organizational level, why would a leader, why would the team, why would the organization want to embark on this? Well, the good news is, is the very situation we've created with this mechanistic mindset is the very situation that's waking us up, that's enforcing, is, is impelling us to have to change because we can't deal with the level of systemic challenges that we now face. Now, all organizations, people are tearing their hairs out. It's a really bumpy time at the moment. And I'm working with all sorts of different organizations across the world. People are really struggling. 
you can't continue down that road with the achiever mindset. You're just going to burn out. You're going to collapse. Um, your organization's going to start sticking to its knitting, hunkering down, getting into survival mode, which if you've got massive cash reserves, may be cool for about three or four years. But really, that's not the way forward. Um, so unless the leader is purely just looking at his pension fund and how to get out quickly, if he or she is actually looking for, you know, how can I help this company thrive in these volatile times, which I believe there are enough good leaders that want that. And how can I enable an environment that I'm truly proud of and that I know in my heart is possible? Then um, they are ripe to step into this journey, which is for the organization and the leader. For the organization, uh, the gain is a more alive, a more human, a more conscious organization. So the inner nature of the organization shifts and the outer nature of the organization shifts. And as you know, through reading uh, Leading by Nature, I use that framing, the inner nature of our own selves and the outer nature of ourselves as leaders and the inner nature of the organization, which is the culture, um, the way in which we show up, the way in which we engage, the way in which we make decision making, um, the day to day flow of activity and the outer nature of the organization, which is its value propositions, its ways of showing up and engaging with stakeholders and wider society in the environment. Both of those go through profound shifts. And sometimes in the regenerative movement or in the sustainability movement, we tend to focus just on the outer. And what I see happening now in this very interesting hour is that we are allowing the inner and the outer. We're starting to work on both, which is, of course, how real transformation happens. So the inner nature shifts from essentially mechanistic, control-based, uh, narrowed down, siloed, parent-child way of operating, where uh, at the moment, you know, the stats are there. Most people are disenfranchised. Creativity is low. We're having to sort of incite certain departments to be focused on innovation. And um, we have to come up with sort of purpose statements to try and reinvigorate people, all of which is quite mechanistic and clumsy. And we engage in massive change programs, the vast proportion of which fail. Um, so that current mindset, which is just unable to adapt to the volatility we're experiencing, to actually creating a, an organization that has its uh, a sense of meaning and purpose from the inside out. And what do I mean by that? I mean that people are, are able to engage in living their own purposefulness and exploring when that resonates with the purposefulness of the organization, how we can listen to the organization's living system and allow a more developmental, um, emergent and evolutionary organization. And I go through that DEE, -E, developmental, emergent, evolutionary frame in the book and give examples around that. And so that's the inner nature that makes the organization more adaptive, more able to attract uh, talent, uh, it allows us at the end of the day, after a busy day, to actually go into our families or our friends richer for the experience of being at work. Why should it not be? Rather than coming out of the working day feeling absolutely shattered that we either need to top up on caffeine or alcohol or whatever just to try and make ourselves feel real that's just wrong it's degenerative so allowing the workplace to become something that is vibrant that we truly wish to be part of and then the outer nature is this shift into value propositions that truly serve life again it's a fallacy to think that business somehow needs to be about just reducing its negative impact that's part of the the problem 
of yesterday's logic that's not part of the future. So shifting from products to services to community participation to really forming rich relationships, which of course is better for business anyway. So it's never at the expense of business, but it's not the reason for doing it. We're not doing it so we can maximize profits. We're doing it because actually we know as we become more conscious that this is the only right thing to do. But it, there is good evidence that shows when we enhance our value propositions to become more life-affirming, when we create cultures that are more regenerative, our organizations become more future-fit, more able to adapt to the challenging times that we're in. So this is just about the future of business and allowing our organizations to thrive, to come alive in the midst of these challenging times. Let's go do it. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I don't just want to sit here and you know, just be affirming um, and I don't find any reason to be anything other than that, right? It just seems, from my perspective, from my point on the journey, it seems so evident that this is both wanted and needed. Of course, you know, there is going to be pain, frankly, you know, in this kind of transition. You know, this is radical stuff, and you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to cling on ironically, for dear life to what they perceive as something very enriching and um, sustaining in everything that they've come to know and find very familiar and you know, has given them their version of success. And yet, I suspect even those people, you know, the most diligent, you know, sort of disciples of what we shall now refer to as the old ways, they too will find themselves, you know, sort of paddling hard for these, you know, sort of blissful shores at some point, whether or not they ever get there. Uh, my great hope is simply that, you know, the shores will be plentiful and abundant by the time they arrive and, you know, there'll be, there'll be plenty to go around. I mean, I would love to, and let's see if we have time, you know, do a bit of a deep dive, perhaps into Vivo as an interesting case study, which I know you unpack in detail in the book. So if there's another one that, you know, sort of you, you would prefer to explore here, but I, th I think it's always good, you know, especially in a podcast platform, we try to make as applicable and applied as possible to talk about where, you know, this is being done. This is not just, you know, sort of grand theory, waxing lyrical about, you know, something very abstract, like you are literally doing this work and have been for years. But before we get there, let's circle, let's circle back to these three S's and let's spend a little bit of time immersing ourselves in those, why they're so integral and why, you know, I suppose maybe here's, here's an invitation to start this point in the conversation, why you introduce these at the back end of the book in a chapter titled The Time Has Come. Yeah. Uh, so the, <laughs> uh, it's not obvious, but there are some sort of, sort of little hidden patterns to the book for the more sort of keener eye. Um, so it, the book can happily just be written and read uh, and absorbed as a kind of, you know, factual um, undertaking, but there are some sort of slight debts to it. And so right at the end, I talk about these three um, tips, if you like. I mean, they're a bit more than tips. Um, and um, in a way, what they do is they relate to nature's wisdom, which are three aspects I reveal right at the beginning. So I quite like the beginning and end echoes. And there's a few more of those in the book. And so, um, and I've, ne I've never shared this before, uh, Tim. So I enjoy um, sort of sharing this sort of insight now with you, which is that, you know, uh, so at the back end of the book, uh, we've got stillness, we've got surrender, and we've got sensitivity. So three 
um, as I say, sort of key tips that if you're able to keep in your mind will help you on this journey. And I can unpack what we mean by stillness, surrender and sensitivity in a moment. And they echo and they have a resonance with the three aspects of nature's wisdom at the front of the book. And I have spent over, well, over 12 years now exploring how do we learn from nature and living systems and apply it to specifically leadership and organizational development. And as you know, from my previous work, I've come up with different, you know, patterns and business processes and principles and the logic of life in, in the previous book and all sorts of different and nature's wisdom is different from that. I, I, I clarify that in the book. This is something that is a substrata. It sits underneath um, patterns and principles. It's really, um, if, if you like, a kind of um, underpinning or a, a, a meta-narrative, which is that nature itself or the wisdom innate within nature, when we meditate and we tap into nature uh, deeply, we see that there are these three uh, aspects. There are more, but I'm choosing to highlight three, which is that nature, that life is ever-changing. It's full of a change. And that in itself, if you contemplate and you meditate on, can be transformative in and of itself, can help you shift out of that achiever mindset. When you realize that everything is changing all the time, then it eases the ego grip on having to grasp onto things. And that underpinning this ever-changing nature is that there is a stillness and a movement. That, out, that movement actually arises out of stillness, that there is stillness, there is an eternal aspect pervading everything. And there are yin-yang flows to life, which I talk about throughout the book and then apply to leadership and organizational development. So that's the first principle of nature's wisdom. The second is tensions, that life is full of tensions. And again, just meditating on that and recognizing that tensions aren't things to be collapsed. And that whilst the ego comes across a tension, thinks, oh my gosh, you're going to have to deal with this, but actually hold the tension, allow it to do its magic, which is that each tension acts as a crucible for creativity, for deepening, for evolution. It's a springboard for us to know ourselves better and to know the system that we're engaging with better. So it's the very thing. So when you come across a tension, think, wow, we're great. Let's work with this. And then it's a case of sort of working with the tension. When do I let go? When do I allow the tension to hold? When do I dive in uh, and be clear in my decision-making? And that tensions, again, relates to surrendering the capacity to let go. And then the third aspect of nature's wisdom is relationality or interconnectedness, um, that actually there is this innate, every ecosystem is immersed within other ecosystems, and the cell in our bodies is immersed, is a milieu, a rich milieu of relationships with everything around it, energetic responsiveness with its environment. And there are ripples and repercussions uh, throughout life that we are immersed in. Our very thoughts contribute to that. So how we're being in that interconnectedness is important. And being sensitive to the flow of life, being sensitive to these ripples and these repercussions, becoming a sensitive receptor to what's going on in life is really important. And so now if I then turn at the end of the book to these three tips, you can see the echo, which is stillness, surrender, and sensitivity. Stillness is really you could argue, a central point, um, the way in to becoming regenerative, to remind ourselves of stillness. Finding stillness inside ourselves accesses the eternal aspect of reality within the midst of this temporal experience. That is essentially a mythological undertaking. It's an experience of life, uh, which we're here to understand as human beings. And it's a remembering 
It's something that we innately do. It's, we, we did as, as, as babies, as children, and we probably have epiphanies throughout life and we grasp those. But bringing them into a more daily practice uh, through body-mind coherence, through practices I um, share in the book around how we align our three neurological centers of the head, the heart, and the gut, and so forth. So finding that stillness. And, of course, that relates to the stillness and movement of, of nature. And then surrendering is a letting go. It's a yielding. It's an opening, not asserting, not, not achieving, not pushing ourselves onto life, uh, but actually opening into life, which is that shift from self as separate into self as participating with. And the shift around surrendering really is this, um, I talk about the three lenses that, of how we perceive reality in the book. Lens one, the voice in the head. Lens two, our deeper nature with everything that's involved within that, our shadow aspects, constrictions, and inner knowings and dharma and so forth and true nature. And then lens three, the field, opening into the field and noticing and allowing the tensions as they arise inside us, as the judgments, or as the criticisms, as the projections, as these constrictions naturally happen, um, you know, and notice them and allow, go into the body, sense the constriction and allow. And so everything that emerges in front of us or as we go through the day, if you're a busy business leader, there's plenty of things emerging all the time, actually act as the very life path, the very learning experience that we need. Uh, and so it's a surrendering into that. That's not some whimsical letting go and just not bothering. Not, not at all. This is a very active, receptive process of yielding into what wants to emerge. What's the deeper learning behind things? And so, so that surrendering process actually relates to tensions, one of nature's wisdom. And then the third is sensitivity, allowing ourselves to become more sensitive to life. Really, this whole shift from achiever to regenerative is about us opening into reality, to remembering who we are, our deeper nature, and opening into the nature of life itself, what I call activating our supernature, allowing us to become more human. And I also talk about certain virtues in the book that help us with this sensitivity, balance, patience, courage, and purposefulness. So uh, I, I share that with you because these three tips are ways of just reminding ourselves of keeping ourselves through a busy day in aligning with that regenerative capacity that we naturally have. So stillness, surrender, and sensitivity. And they have a relationship with nature's wisdom itself. They are actually inviting in nature's wisdom into our daily interactions another intentional pause and i suspect when i listen back to this that that pause is going to be even longer thank you very much that is a real gift that i'm very honored to receive and um yeah deeply deeply touched that you've chosen to do so uh, to impart that gift and again, I, you know, the, the, the noticing I have in myself so tracking along with you through the wisdom of nature and then these three um, forms almost of, of, of sort of entering into greater alignment and, and greater synchronicity with that wisdom. I was sort of witnessing my embodied sort of tracking of, of the path that you were weaving for us. And, and I'll tell you, as an action-orientated person who loves motion, you know, is standing you know, as we make this recording, 
oh, it's so nice to be still. <laughs> it's so nice to be still. And it's such a fascinating experience what you can sense in stillness, right? And then clearly in conjunction with sensitivity itself, yeah, it's a, it's a really enlivening moment however brief it is right you know you start the clock on a meditation exercise and you know sometimes it seems like years before you know the little bell goes off and that's your 15 minutes or whatever um because just there's so much that awaits you and in our so-called you know sort of modern lives it's it's one of the real scarcities you know um so, yeah, so thank you right here and now for that experience that I've just had. And, uh, and I hope that uh, you, the listener to this, is, uh, is able to, to experience something very similar in, uh, in playing this back. Now, I don't want to, and yet I must, shift us towards the, um, not culmination, but the, the resting of this dialogue, conscious of your time and knowing that you do have people to lead into the woods um, very soon. So uh, an invitation now, anyone that hasn't done so already um, and is keen on you know, connecting more deeply with you, exploring your work and, and finding the myriad of pathways uh, to do that, where would you suggest those people turn their attention? Uh, well, you can get the book, Leading by Nature, on my website, gileshutchins.com. There's also some tools and techniques uh, available for free download, and there are a series of podcasts um, of conversations I'm having with different leaders that are engaging on this journey. And you can also come across my blog, thenatureofbusiness.org, which is there for you. Excellent. And I'm conscious now that I suggested that we go back and look at Vivo as a case study. And now I think a better suggestion would actually be go listen to the podcast, which I've been doing. And there's lots of case studies there, you know, with your clients and, and those that are on the journey with you and you with them. So that in actual fact is, is, is the better recommendation. Um, Giles, thank you so much. Thank you for everything that you've done, everything you're doing, everything you're being, and I have no doubt will continue to be. And for being here with me and therefore with all of our listeners here today. Let me also thank you, Tim, for everything you are doing and being. It's been a real pleasure. We had a, a conversation, uh, I think it was a couple of months ago now, when you first asked me about this podcast, and I very much enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed today. You are a lovely man on a rich journey. And I'll just leave with one thing, because you mentioned the word synchronicity, which is a powerful word. Um, so I'll just I'll just finish this lovely conversation with you by saying that life is the meditation. Um, life is is there as a meditation, and its gift is synchronicity. So when we notice these synchronicities, all we're doing is really moving ourselves more into the gift of life itself. So it's a synchronicity connecting with you. Uh, synchronicity having this conversation today. I wish you well, my friend, as you journey forth. Thank you very much, Tim. Another gift, gratefully received. Thank you, and likewise, and let's leave it there for today. So, how are you feeling, sensing, being, after being with that? Um, Charles is so, so generous. He's such a great, just 
gentle, knowing being. Um, and since this conversation was recorded um, some seven months ago, as I now record this segment, I've gotten to know Giles quite well. Um, I reached out to him uh, and, um, well, said that I was seeking a guide in the work. Um, and we're now working together on a number of things which will emerge over the fullness of time. Um, but the more I listen to this conversation, as I have done three times now, the more I, I love it and, and, and the more I want to explore these frameworks. So just to review, renew, you have the invitation to engage with resources that explore a little bit more deeply and a lot more deeply. Worldview shifts, the panarchy cycle, three S's, DEE, and a lot more. So for sure, go check out the book, go to Giles' website, read the blog, listen to the podcast. The podcasts are great. They're very, very real conversations, real as in how this is being brought into organizations in real life and has been over the last few years. So if you're wanting to explore a you know, public housing association or an insurance company that is doing this work or a manufacturer of footwear, go and listen to the Leading by Nature podcast. It's fabulous. And I have written an article. I have put on YouTube a reflection video and since stillness is one of the things that, as I mentioned, I've kind of had to learn to love as a very motion-centered person. One of the practices that I have been exploring and sharing for the last uh, three years, I think, is like micro stillness. So in the resources on the show notes, scroll down on the scrolly thing, on the device you're listening to this on, I have been creating a series called 30 Seconds Stillness for a little while. And it's like a micro meditation that I started doing for myself. And then I started sharing with some coaching clients and they really liked it and encouraged me to put it out there to whoever wants to engage with it. So that's there for you as well. And so much more to come, especially on worldviews. Carol Sanford references these as well as paradigms and in the next episode we're going to take a really deep dive into restoring a worldview and how that will change everything so some of this is new yes and some of it is remembering also so on that note i hope you've enjoyed i hope you're enjoying i hope you can continue learning through all the resources that we've provided and I will be back with you soon. Until then, be well, lead well, and go tune into nature's wisdom. To close this conversation, an expression of gratitude. Firstly, a grateful acknowledgement to the first peoples of all lands, waters, and skies upon which this conversation has been created. The conversation was hosted on Darawal country, audio edited on Gadigal country and produced on Boonwarrung country, 
all in Australia. And we gratefully acknowledge the contributions that continue from elders past, present and emerging to generating the fields of wisdom and potential that can sustain our better futures. I gratefully acknowledge the contributions from Brendan Ward as executive producer, original composer and track arranger, to Cooper and Pat from Radio Hub for audio editing and in-studio tech support, to Bonnie from Collator for original artwork, and to Sybil at Atomic Tangerine for marketing guidance, and to Norpeter and Nicole at Knock Knock for digital hosting. And above all else, to you for your time, attention, and advocacy. Thank you all. Better leaders, better world.